Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. With me this week is my wife, Carol. Say hello, Carol. Hey, girl. Hey. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Dark Poutine. Don't leave home without it. On the afternoon of July 24, 2015, RCMP were called by the residents of 192 Pleasant Grove Road outside of Charlottetown on Prince Edward Island. They said that the night before there had been a violent fight between a man, Joel Lawrence Clough, their neighbor, who was 46 years old, and a woman, Clough's 40-year-old on-and-off-again girlfriend and mother of one, Tracy Lynn Lynch. Responding officers knew they would be investigating a domestic dispute they dealt with Tracy and Joel before. Things became more serious when cops discovered Tracy deceased on closed property. You're listening to episode 165, Frenzy, The Killing of Tracy Lynn Lynch. Prince Edward Island, Canada's smallest province, is home to just over 155,000 islanders and one-tenth the size of its neighbor Nova Scotia just across the Northumberland Strait. Although tiny and not densely populated, PEI is not free of crime. It has had its share of domestic-slash-partner-on-partner murders. According to Women's Equality Prince Edward Island, quote, Tracy Lynch was the 10th Prince Edward Island woman since 1989 to be murdered by a man who knew her. Over that same time, hundreds of women have been harmed or made to fear for their lives. We have covered another of these murders in episode 73 of Dark Poutine. In that show, we learned of the 1994 murder of 32-year-old mother of five named Shirley Ann Duguay at the hands of her ex, Donald Leo Beamish. There never has been much in the press about Tracy Lynn Lynch. According to her sister's victim impact statement, later read into evidence, Tracy was a quiet and private person. Joel Clough listed his occupation as fisherman, claiming he fished lobsters when they were in season, but he also fished tuna and halibut, as well as eels. The RCMP were familiar with Joel Lawrence Clough. He had a record dating back as far as 1989. In March of 2011, there had been a serious domestic incident with Joel and his then-wife. Joel's wife fled their home and called police after her husband, in a rage, had threatened to shoot her with his shotgun. When RCMP officers arrived and tried to talk to Joel, he refused to come out of the house. Instead, he barricaded himself inside his residence along with two other men. The emergency response team was called in and they surrounded the house and waited for Joel to come out. After a few tense hours, Joel Clough surrendered to them. According to the CBC News website, Clough was charged with one count of assault, three counts of making threats, possession of an unregistered shotgun, and careless storage of a firearm. He pleaded not guilty to the charges a week later. The CBC posted photos of the powerfully built man, 41 years old at the time, mugging for the cameras as he was led into the courthouse in cuffs for his hearing. In June 2011, after a trial where his now-estranged wife testified about Joel Clough threatening to shoot her, Clough was convicted of uttering threats, assault, and possession of that unregistered firearm. On August 23rd, Justice Nancy Orr sentenced Joel Clough to 10 months in jail, but the provincial court judge also gave him time and a half for the six months he'd already served, and he was scheduled to be out about 30 days later. 
He'd be looking at three years of probation after that, which ended just about a year before he and Tracy Lynch had met. Tracy Lynn Lynch was born and had grown up in nearby Picto, Nova Scotia. Her mom was Norma, and her dad was Leonard R. Lynch. She was loved by her sisters, Terry Don Durand and Tanya Watts. She had graduated from West Picto District High School and went on to work in early childhood education. At the time of her death, she was living at 463 Route 220 in Pleasant Grove Road in Prince Edward Island. Tracy hadn't had the easiest go in the last few years. Her son Owen's dad, Rody Clough, had passed away when Owen was only a year old. In December 2014, Tracy Lynch began seeing Joel Lawrence Clough. The two became quickly involved and their relationship was intense and stormy, sometimes violent and fraught with issues often fueled by booze and drugs that the couple spent a lot of time using together, according to statements by Joel Clough and his teenage son Jeremy. Tracy had to move in with Joel Clough for around three months as there were issues with the power at Tracy's place just over a kilometer down the road. The relationship soured almost as quickly as it had begun. Trouble started as their drinking and drug use caught up to them. Joel and Tracy were falling deeper into the darkness of substance abuse. In March 2015, to add to their already problematic use of weed, hash, alcohol, Percocet, caffeine pills, and cocaine, they added methamphetamine to the mix. Joel was hooked on meth immediately and his behavior became increasingly more erratic and violent. Tracy became the main target of Joel's terrifying verbal and physical assaults. The police were called more than once over disputes that the couple were having. Sometimes it was Tracy who called them and sometimes it was Joel. As well as the physical abuse, Joel tried to isolate Tracy from her friends and family, a tactic used by abusers to keep prey under their thumbs. He would say he didn't like her friends. He would say he didn't want her talking to her family at certain times. Tracy's son Owen was living close by with his grandparents. Luckily, he was not subject to much of the goings-on between his mother and Joel Clough. According to court documents, Clough later stated that Tracy saw Owen once every two weeks, but Tracy loved Owen and it was that love for her son that kept her living close by and not running away from Joel Clough, who was now becoming more and more angry as Tracy tried to break it off with him because his drug use was out of control. Joel was paranoid and raging, unable to accept that Tracy wanted to leave him. Tracy desperately wanted away from the man. She knew the relationship was sick, but they had a weird dependence on one another, and try as she might, Tracy could not make a clean break with Joel Clough. Despite all the abuse, Tracy kept giving him chance after chance. This is typical in abusive relationships. It is not victim-blaming. We'll get into this later. There are scores of reasons why abuse victims stick with a relationship long past its expiry date. According to court documents, time and time again when Tracy Lynch was with her friends, she spoke of being afraid that Joel Clough was going to hurt her. She reported to her friend Andrea Simons on a number of occasions that she felt Joel Clough was going to kill her one day. As she told her friends stories of being terrorized by Joel Clough, Tracy Lynch cried and shook. Joel Clough himself was overheard by a friend as he said, I'm going to kill that bitch one day. Throughout the next few months, there were numerous incidents of escalating violence between Joel Clough and Tracy Lynch. Joel would call and text Tracy at all hours of the night, berating, name-calling, and threatening her, raving and cursing like a madman. On one occasion, Joel gathered up piles of Tracy's clothes and dumped bleach on them after throwing them in the bathtub. During another violent outburst, Joel Clough smashed the front and rear windshields of Tracy's car. Joel's behavior got even scarier than that. He was known to have climbed into the crawl space under Tracy's home to, quote, keep an eye on her. He even slept there through the night. In one series of bizarre acts, Joel Clough attached hoses to the faucets in Tracy Lynch's house and flooded the place. At one point, Joel Clough attempted to run over Tracy Lynch with his truck and she received scratches and scrapes jumping out of the way and falling to the ground as she barely escaped. Three days before her death, Tracy placed a call to her friend Jeff Schaefer. She asked Jeff to pick up a TELUS phone card and bring it out to her house. When Jeff arrived, Tracy Lynch looked shaken. She told Jeff that she and Joel Clough were not getting along and that she was afraid to be alone in her house because she thought Joel Clough was going to come for her and hurt her. Jeff and his then-girlfriend, Maria Powers, 
asked Tracy if she wanted to come and spend the night with them. Tracy agreed because she said she didn't feel safe. According to court documents, the next day on July 22, 2015, Jeff Schaefer and Maria Powers drove Tracy Lynch back to her home. Tracy Lynch's spider sense was tingling and she said, he's here. Jeff Schaefer agreed to take a look around. There was no sign of Joel Clough at first, but sure enough, there he was in his truck hiding in Tracy Lynch's garage. After being confronted by Jeff, Joel Clough was pinballing at the time, walking back and forth, ranting and raging in the garage from wall to wall. Joel Clough was talking a mile a minute and asked Jeff questions about Tracy Lynch's whereabouts for the last 24 hours. Joel asked who was the girl with Jeff. He wanted to know if Tracy spent the night at their house. For the next 45 minutes to an hour, Jeff Schaefer talked with Joel Clough in that garage trying to calm Joel down. Jeff told Joel that Tracy had not done anything wrong. Joel, twisting Jeff's words back at him, asked exactly what it was that Joel thought Tracy Lynch was doing that Jeff would say that she didn't do anything wrong. Joel Clough thought that Tracy Lynch had been across the street with her neighbors Chris Strickland and Johnny Farrell. She'd been over there with them. Clough was jealous. He'd seen Tracy interact kindly with the two men and Clough's paranoia immediately told him that she was sleeping with them. Schaefer again reiterated that Tracy had been with he and his girlfriend at Jeff's house all night long and that nothing had happened. On July 23, 2015, Joel Clough and his son Jeremy drove to Covehead Harbor at approximately 5 p.m. to get their lobsters. Jeremy later described the conversation as good and that there was no sign at any point that Joel Clough was drinking or doing any drugs. When the pair got home, Joel went to his mini home and Jeremy went out to hang out in another building on the property later referred to as the Pink House. This was Joel Clough's workshop. At around dusk, Jeremy came into Joel's main house and noticed that Tracy was there. He later said that they could have been drinking at the time. Joel told Jeremy that he and Tracy were headed into town and Tracy and Joel left in Joel's truck. Jeremy left to go to the place he was sharing with his girlfriend. They were moving things out that night. Phone records later indicated that both Joel and Tracy were texting a drug dealer in Charlottetown numerous times, planning to meet the dealer at his home that evening. Just after 10 p.m., Joel and Tracy went into the Atlantic Superstore where Joel paid cash for cat food, apple juice, onions, and a grooming mirror. After that, Joel and Tracy then stopped at the residence of a reputed drug dealer where Joel traded lobster for drugs. The next stop was Mel's Petro Canada, located at 419 St. Peter's Road in Charlottetown. The security video there showed Joel Clough and Tracy Lynch arriving at approximately 10.36. Joel Clough purchased a dozen schooner lager beer and a bottle of Smirnoff, 700 milliliters vodka. That's what we used to call a quart or a 26er. Tracy Lynch per purchased a 375 milliliter bottle, a pint or a Mickey, of Fireball Whiskey. Nothing appeared unusual with the pair, who left three minutes after entering the store. At around midnight, Jeremy Clough arrived back at Joel Clough's with some stuff from his move to burn on Joel's burn pile. Joel Clough's quarter-ton truck was parked in the driveway where it usually was. There were lights on in the house. After tossing his items onto the burn pile, Jeremy Clough left without going inside. Over the next few hours, things went wrong, terribly wrong. And we'll take a break right here. Something went awry in the wee hours of the morning on July 24th, 2015. Perhaps it was a fight fueled by drugs and booze, but for some reason between 1.53 and 2.27 a.m., Tracy had left Joel Clough's property and went across the street to seek safer company. Phone records showed a series of text messages and phone calls between Joel and Tracy. At 2.27 a.m., Tracy went back to Joel Clough's and he flew into a jealous rage. Tracy ran back across the street and attempted to get into the front door of the mini home there. Joel ran up behind Tracy during her attempts to enter and used his weight to squeeze Tracy between the storm door and the interior door, causing damage to both the hinges on the storm door and to the strike plate on the interior door. Joel grabbed Tracy's legs from behind and caused her to fall hard on the wooden deck of the mini home. In the process, Tracy Lynch struck the front door with her upper body and head, which left a pool of blood from the wound.
Joel Close struck Tracy and violently pulled hair from her head. At some point, Joel caused the back of Tracy Lynn Lynch's head to be smashed into a table leg on the deck. It isn't clear whether he used the table leg to hit her or if he smashed her head against it. Blood from Tracy Lynch's head injuries was all over the deck. Chris Strickland and Johnny Farrell were inside the mini home and for some reason, perhaps out of fear of Joel Clough, their volatile neighbor, chose not to provide assistance or become involved in what was clearly a serious altercation going on outside the front door. They knew the fight was between Joel and Tracy. From court documents, hair mixed with blood suggests that Joel Clough dragged Tracy Lynch off the top of the deck and down the steps onto the grass in front of the mini home. A blunt object, which could have been the leg of the table, Joel's fist, or his shoe, caused bruising and two fractured ribs on Tracy Lynch's right side. Tracy suffered a large number of impacts and multiple applications of blunt force. Joel Clough then ripped off Tracy Lynch's red shirt, put knots in the red shirt in three locations, thereby forming a rope or ligature. Joel Clough then looped the ligature around Tracy's neck more than once, Joel dragged Tracy by the t-shirt around her neck, face down across the front lawn of 192 Pleasant Grove Road, across the shoulder of the road, across Route 220, across the other shoulder of the road, and onto his property, to a point where there was a row of stacked pallets. At some point during these events, Tracy passed away. Joel Clough left Tracy's body and grabbed his wheelbarrow, taking it back to where he had left her. He picked her up, put her into the wheelbarrow, and pushed the wheelbarrow further onto his property. Joel Clough removed the ligature made from the red shirt around Tracy's neck and removed her black pants. And then he washed Tracy's body off with a hose before wheeling her another 30 meters toward the back of his yard, where he left her in the wheelbarrow near a storage shed and a pile of lobster traps. From court documents, in the dark of night, Joel Clough tried to hide Tracy Lynch's body. Joel Clough covered Tracy Lynch with a pillow, a blanket, a rain slicker, a tarp, four fishing tubs, and the large top of a fishing bin. Tracy Lynch's body was concealed to anyone looking between a pile of lobster traps and an outbuilding surrounded by garbage and debris. Hours later, on finding a mass of blood pooled on the deck of the mini home at 192 Pleasant Grove Road, Chris Strickland called 911 around 1 p.m. on July 24th. RCMP arrived at around 1.40 and chatted with Johnny Farrell and Chris Strickland. The first order of business after talking to Strickland and Farrell was to check on Tracy Lynch. Two officers performed a well-being check at Tracy Lynch's home at 3.53 p.m. She, of course, was not home. At 4.21, one of the RCMP officers called Joel Clough's phone. The constable left a message when Joel didn't answer. As other constables canvassed the neighborhood to find out who had heard what the night before, a canine unit was brought in to follow the drag marks and look around the exterior of Joel Clough's place. Joel was not answering the door. From CBC News' timeline of the events that day, quote, At around 5.56 p.m., Tracy Lynch's friend, Rachel DeCourcy, got a call from Tracy's cell. Rachel could hear sounds like heavy breathing and branches breaking. Crown prosecutors would later contend that Joel was in the woods behind his home, hiding Tracy Lynch's phone and had phoned DeCourcy by mistake. Tracy's phone was never located. At around 7 p.m., police dog services officer Constable Elaine and his trusty canine found Tracy Lynch's body right where Joel Clough had left her right there in the wheelbarrow. Three officers entered Joel Clough's home and cleared it, finding Joel Clough in bed under the covers. Joel was arrested, cuffed, and walked outside under his own steam, but once on the doorstep, Joel appeared to have a seizure. Police gently moved Joel to the grass, recording audio and video of Joel as he was being tended to by RCMP Constable Robert Honkoop. According to a Saltwire Network article filed by Ryan Ross of the PEI Guardian, quote, Joel Clough can be seen rolling around on the ground outside his home, whipping his head back and forth as he appeared to convulse. Here's some audio of the video recorded that evening. You okay, Joel? One minute. One minute. Help's going to be here. 
Ryan Ross's article goes on to mention that paramedics who treated Chloe that night said his pupils were constricted to two millimeters. The paramedic also indicated that he determined Chloe was possibly intoxicated or overdosed on something. At one point, the paramedic had asked Chloe if he took any drugs. Joel simply said, everything. Joel was taken to the hospital where he stayed cuffed to a stretcher. Constable Honkoop at his side while Joel was treated. It was Honkoop who ID'd Tracy Lynch at the morgue, as he'd dealt with Chloe and Tracy on a previous call. Joel Chloe was arrested and read his rights there in the hospital after Tracy had been identified. From the CBC News timeline of the events in this case, quote, His blood is taken at 9.53 p.m. for a toxicology test 19 and a half hours after Lynch's death. Doctors note, he has no specific complaints, but he does ask me what happened last night. The RCMP interviewed Joel Klo at the hospital. Also from Ryan Ross's article, quote, Most of Klo's responses to the RCMP were inaudible mutterings or groans, but on two occasions he asked the police why they didn't shoot him. Although most of Klo's responses to the RCMP during his arrest weren't clear, there were a few exchanges with the officers that made sense. This is real, isn't it? Klo asked at one point. Clad in a white Tyvek suit to preserve evidence, the next day at the Montague Detachment, RCMP interviewed Joel Klo about what he recalled from the night before. Klo claimed he was coming down hard after a days-long binge on speed, coke, and booze. This conflicted with other witnesses who claimed Joel Klo did not appear intoxicated earlier on July 23rd. Tracy Lynch's body was taken to Halifax and underwent a post-mortem examination performed by Dr. Eric Mont the Deputy Chief Medical Examiner for the Province of Nova Scotia, and a qualified expert in forensic pathology. Mont's report read, Autopsy revealed numerous blunt force injuries of the head, torso, and extremities, as well as injury of the neck and of other supportive findings strongly suggestive of ligature strangulation. Most of the injuries appeared to have occurred in the perimortem period just before death, with the exception of a few injuries on the right lower extremity that were completely devoid of extravastated blood, suggesting post-mortem injuries. He also noted that the brush abrasions on Tracy's body were consistent with the woman having been dragged face down. The injuries to her neck were consistent with a ligature looping around her neck and Tracy being dragged. In Dr. Mont's opinion, the ligature was looped multiple times and the ligature may have moved around a bit. Injuries to Tracy's neck were so deep that significant force would have been required to cause them. There was bruising at the back of Tracy's neck consistent with the ligature being grasped behind her head by the person applying the pressure. Tracy had low amounts of alcohol and caffeine in her blood when she died and a significant amount of methamphetamine. Dr. Mont said that Tracy Lynch died from blunt force head injury and strangulation and that the manner of death was homicide. Tracy Lynch's obituary at the Belvedere Funeral Home read, quote, At Pleasant Grove, Tracy Lynch, age 40 years, remembered by her precious son Owen, beloved daughter of Norma, Leonard, deceased, loved sister of Terry Durant, Peter, and Tanya Watts, Jason, loving aunt of Paige Durant and Nolan Watts, resting at Belvedere Funeral Home from where the funeral service will be held in the funeral home chapel on Monday at 1 p.m. Visitation Sunday 2 to 5, family flowers only. Memorial donations may be made to the in-trust of Owen Clough. On July 26, 2015, Joel Clough was charged with first-degree murder and indecently interfering with human remains in connection with Tracy Lynch's death. He made his first court appearance the next day. Joel was held in custody pending trial. In November of that year, Joel Klo chose trial by jury and the trial dates were set. In December, Joel Klo pleaded not guilty to the charges against him and the trial was set to begin in May of 2016. In the meantime, Joel and his lawyer, Thane McEachern, had been at odds. And right before the trial was set to begin, McEachern resigned saying Joel Klo was not taking any of his advice. Halifax hotshot defense lawyer Joel Pink stepped in to take over Joel Clough's defense, 
and the trial date was again pushed into October so Pink could properly prepare. In July of 2016, Tracy Lynch's mother filed a lawsuit against Joel Cohen, according to another PEI Guardian article by Ryan Ross, quote, The statement of claim from Lynch's family seeks unspecified damages, including for loss of future support, care, guidance, and companionship. The plaintiffs also seek damages to cover funeral costs, end quote. There was another delay, and the trial this time by judge alone, was pushed again to May 15th of 2017. The trial began with some admissions from Joel Clough and his defense team from CBC, quote, Joel L. Clough acknowledges his physical acts must be responsible for the unlawful death of Tracy Lynch. The statement goes on, the actions that resulted in the death of Tracy Lynch must have occurred between 12 a.m. and 12.30 a.m. on July 24th, 2015. The court was told that the prosecution hinged on two issues, that Joel Clough acted with intent and that forcible confinement did occur. So to find for first-degree murder, forcible confinement is important. To find for second-degree murder, the prosecution had to prove that Joel had intended to kill Tracy Lynch. The trial was an example of dueling experts. The Crown brought expert witnesses in toxicology who stated Joel was not too stoned per their testing to have formed proper intent to kill Tracy Lynch. They also brought others, including Jeremy Clough, who had seen that Joel Clough had not been on a days-long drug binge at the time of Tracy's death, as he indicated to police, rather that he had appeared to be sober. To counter, Joel's defense team brought expert witnesses who contested the findings of the prosecution witnesses, saying that Joel was in fact too stoned to form proper intent to murder. Other witnesses and Joel's own police interviews indicated that he was so wasted most of the time he was unable to perform his work tasks effectively, let alone know what he was doing when it came to killing Tracy Lynch. According to court documents regarding his work ability, quote, despite his protestations of being whacked out of her, he was, be he was able to function during those seasons prior to Tracy Lynch's death where he was required to work as a fisherman. Robert Gallant, testified that he had been approached to work with Joel Clough on his fishing boat and he decided not to. Gallant's testimony was that he could not go fishing with Clough because it was not really safe with one person already drinking on the boat. From the CBC timeline on the case, on May 26, 2017, the trial wrapped with the Crown suggesting Clough killed Lynch out of jealousy and used her torn t-shirt to strangle her. The defense psychiatrist said Clough was too grossly intoxicated to form intent. Closing arguments were presented in writing in June, normal procedure for trials by judge alone, and on July 21st, Justice Nancy Orr delivered her decision. Unable to find enough evidence to support forcible confinement, Orr found Clough guilty of second-degree murder in the death of Tracy Lynn Lynch. At Clough's sentencing, on Monday, October 2nd, 2017, Tracy Lynch's sister, Terry Durant, spoke to the court. Quote, I can't imagine the suffering my sister endured on that last terrible night of her life, Durant said. Why would anyone do that? She had her flaws, but she was a human being. Joel Clough is a very dangerous man. As her family, we are serving a life sentence. End quote. Joel Clough was sentenced to life with no chance of parole for 17 years. But this story does not end here. Joel Close defense team then went ahead with an appeal and on February 21st, 2019 at the Prince Edward Island Court of Appeal, Chief Justice David H. Jenkins, Justice Michelle M. Murphy, and Justice John K. Mitchell rendered their decision. Justice John K. Mitchell wrote, quote, the trial judge made errors of law that render it unsafe to allow the verdict to stand. From a CBC News article, in his decision, Mitchell said that there's no doubt that Lynch was killed in a brutal, vicious beating she suffered at the hands of Chloe outside his home in Pleasant Grove in July 2015. The question for the courts, he said, is whether her death was murder or manslaughter. The difference is intent, said Mitchell, and that even if Chloe was capable of killing Lynch, that doesn't mean he realized what he was doing could kill her. Mitchell said the trial judge, Just Justice Nancy Orr, fell short in considering all the evidence in a number of areas. Severe intoxication, he wrote, quote, can lead to an inability to foresee the consequences of one's actions, much less intend them. Joel Clough had won his appeal. His conviction was vacated and a new trial was ordered. 
However, in June of 2019, rather than take his chances at another trial, Joel Clow pleaded guilty to manslaughter in Tracy Lynch's death. A week after the plea, Joel Clow was resentenced to 12 years for the manslaughter conviction. From CBC News, quote, In sentencing Clow, Justice Terry McPherson described Lynch's death as extremely violent and tragic. A young boy has lost his mother, a mother has lost their daughter, siblings have lost their sister, and the, in- the entire family has lost a treasured member, said McPherson. All will feel the impact of this loss for the rest of their lives. With no other legal options open to them, Tracy Lynch's family had to accept the sentence handed down, but many people felt it was not nearly stiff enough. In August of 2019, Joel Clough, lawyerless at the time, appealed his 12-year sentence from prison as he felt it was too harsh. I could find no mention of a resolution to Clough's appeal, so it's safe to say that, unless he's dropped it, it is still before the courts. Tracy Lynch did nothing to deserve what happened to her. There are many reasons that people return to their abusers and are unable to break from them before it is too late. From Hotline.org, the website for the National Domestic Violence Hotline in the United States, comes an insightful look at why people stay in abusive situations. Abusive relationships are extremely complex situations, and it takes a lot of courage to leave. Abuse is about power and control. When a survivor leaves their abusive relationship, they threaten the power and control their partner has established over the survivor's agency, which may cause the partner to retaliate in harmful ways. As a result, leaving is often the most dangerous period of time for survivors of abuse. Here are some of the reasons that Hotline.org gives that people stay in situations where they are subjected to gender-based violence. Fear. A person will likely be afraid of the consequences if they decide to leave their relationship, either out of fear of their partner's actions or concern over their own ability to be independent. Normalized abuse. If someone grew up in an environment where abuse was common, they may not know what healthy relationships look like. As a result, they may not recognize that their partner's behaviors are unhealthy or abusive. Shame. It can be difficult for someone to admit that they have been or are being abused. They may feel that they've done something wrong, that they deserve the abuse, or that experiencing abuse is a sign of weakness. Remember that blame shifting is a common tactic that their partners may use and can reinforce a sense of responsibility for their partner's abusive behaviors. Intimidation. A survivor may be intimidated into staying in a relationship by verbal or physical threats or threats to spread information, including secrets or confidential details, i.e. revenge, porn, etc. For LGBTQ plus people who haven't come out yet, threats to out someone may be an opportunity for abusive partners to exert control. Low self-esteem. After experiencing verbal abuse or blame for physical abuse, it can be easy for survivors to believe those sentiments and believe that they are at fault for their partner's abusive behaviors. Lack of resources. Survivors may be financially dependent on their abusive partner or have previously been denied opportunities to work, a place to sleep on their own, language assistance, or a network to turn to during moments of crisis. These factors can make it seem impossible for someone to leave an abusive situation. Disability. If someone depends on other people for physical support, they may feel that their well-being is directly tied to their relationship. A lack of visible alternatives for support can heavily influence someone's decision to stay in an abusive relationship if they have a disability. Immigration status. People who are undocumented may fear that reporting abuse will affect their immigration status. If they have limited English proficiencies, their concerns can be amplified by confusing and convoluted legal system and an inability to express their circumstances to others. Cultural context. Traditional customs or beliefs may influence someone's decision to stay in an abusive situation, whether held by a survivor or by their family and community. Children. Many survivors may feel guilty or responsible for disrupting their familial unit. Keeping the family together may not only be something that a survivor may value, but may also be used as a tactic by their partner to guilt a survivor into staying. Love. Experiencing abuse and feeling genuine care for a partner who is causing harm are not mutually exclusive. Survivors often still have strong, intimate feelings for their abusive partner. They may have children together. 
want to maintain their family or the person abusing them may simply be charming, especially at the beginning of a relationship. And the survivor may hope that their partner will return to being that person. If you're in a situation and need assistance when it is safest for you to do so, please reach out for help. Call 911. Or in Canada, you can go to endingviolencecanada.org slash getting dash help. And in the U.S., you can use the above-mentioned hotline.org or call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 7233. We will repost these links in the show notes for this episode. And that's it for this week's case, 165, The Killing of Tracy Lynn Lynch. So there you have it, Carol. That was a lot. Poor Tracy. Through the whole thing, I just felt like I wish that uh, logic could just solve these problems. But clearly, when you read that whole list at the end, there's no way that just like just simple logic can solve these problems. Yeah. So and also just the intense damage that drugs and alcohol do to people. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so sad. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting to see that it doesn't appear that Joel Klo was really, he, yeah, he take, he, he was taking responsibility for causing the death of Tracy Lynn Lynch. He saw that all the evidence pointed to the fact that yes, he did this. Mm-hmm. He was hiding her body and all those kind of things. So yeah. he can't deny having done it. Mm-hmm. However, here he is now later saying, well, 12 years is too much time for me. That's just the worst. Plus his back history. Like I get it. I guess. Actually, I don't now. It made sense before, but now lately it doesn't make sense that you can't take someone's past into consideration when they've done another violent crime. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me is that the same judge who found him guilty of the earlier threats against his first wife Mm -hmm. was the same judge who tried him for murder. Yeah, I guess small town. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I just feel like just the nerve also Mm -hmm. of him to appeal. It's like, no, you're a violent person. Obviously, they gave you the benefit of the doubt the first time, kind of got off a little easy on the first time. But then this and then to get 17 years, I was like the first time he was accused and was charged with uh, violence and stuff. He did face some repercussions, kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt that hopefully you've learned from this and you won't repeat it again. However, and then the second huge, like it just escalated his second time. Yeah. So 17 years didn't seem like enough. And then to get it reduced then to 12 years, Mm -hmm. it's like, this is madness. Nothing is working properly. Yeah. We've heard it over and over again from victims' families. Like the system is set up perpetrator. It's not set up for the victim. No. At all. No. Just recently, I got an update from Cheryl Duggan about Brock. Yeah who was in jail for murdering her sister. Mm -hmm. She had to show up again for another parole hearing and it was looking like he was going to get out. And the only reason that he didn't get out is because here's Cheryl beating the drum. You know, she has to go and beat the drum. If nobody shows up and says, please keep this guy in jail, pretty sure he's, they're just going to get out because, well, nobody cares enough. Yeah. But it it shouldn't be whether or not, exactly. It shouldn't be whether or not somebody cares enough to keep these guys in jail. It should be what they did. Yeah. What they did is what should be taken into consideration. It doesn't seem to be. I don't think so. No, it's like, this is murder. This is manslaughter. It's like, okay. And then that's how we deal with this situation. So this guy beat this woman mercilessly and then ripped off her shirt and strangled her with it and dragged her across the street. Yeah, just grim. And it's not just a few feet. He dragged her face first across the dirt and street. She was all beat up and scraped and all those kind of things because he's dragging her. And then hid her. Yeah. And then went to bed. Yep. So I don't care what your mental state was like at that point. Mm-hmm. Or if you're influenced by drugs or not, like you did Well, he, that. he had the wherewithal to clean her up, take the shirt off her yeah. neck. To, That's even more. To hose her down. Yeah. Right? Take her pants off and hose her down because he had probably had sex with her and knew that his DNA would be there. Next day, what's going on with the phone? The Rachel DeCourcy gets the cell phone call out of the blue 
and hears the crunching and cracking and where's her cell phone? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, how is this helping anybody? Nobody's getting helped. No. This is awful. Maddening. So I guess it's time for voicemails. Okay. On to the voicemails. All right. Well, I guess it's now it's time to move on to voicemails. Was that the new voicemail music? Uh, that was our new sting music. I love it. Yeah, it's kind of fun. Ooh. You can leave us a voicemail at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. Don't so, worry, we never pick up the calls. It goes right to voicemail. Yeah, you won't ever <laughs> like. Hi. Hello. Why are you calling? <laughs> Yeah, we, we'll just let it go right to voicemail. But anyway, so let's hear our first person. It looks like somebody more local. Hi, Mike and Carol. My name is Olivia Trepanier. Coming at you from Vernon, British Columbia. Uh, my parents grew up in Lander and Tawasson, so sort of near you. And it's just really cool to hear stories of true crime nature from other places in BC and across the country. I work with preschoolers in the morning and older kids in the afternoon for an after-school program. It's quite funny, the contrast from that atmosphere to what I listened to <laughs> before and after hanging out with the littles. I just wanted to say also thank you for your compassion and sharing all sides of the story, keeping in mind all points of view and just the kindness in your storytelling. I also love Carol's giggle and she, her commentary, just a lot of the time I'm thinking or saying something back sort of towards Mike's story and she will say it. <laughs> I'm a new member of the Yumber Yard on Facebook as well. So I'm loving that community and it's so cool to see everybody from around the world on there and just the great memes about true crime. Uh, I hope we're not wearing toques for much longer, but if we are, if you are, you can go take a poop in it. Have a great rest of your day and keep telling those stories. I look forward to every Monday. Thanks so much. Well, thank you so much. That was funny. That was so nice. Yeah. Also, Ladner is one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah. I've been too. a few places in the world and Ladner, I just love it there. Yeah. So nice. Yeah, we are uh, big, big Ladner fans. I also like that you call kids the littles. That's funny. <laughs> I've never heard that before. The littles. The littles. <laughs> Go hang out with the littles. All right, let's listen to another voicemail here. Thank you. Let's... Beard. Yeah, there's a f quite a few. Wow, thanks, you guys. Hi, Mike and Kara. I've actually called before, but I just wanted to let you know that with my three-hour commute each way every single day, I've made it through quite a lot of the episodes of the podcast and just wanted to give you the highest compliments for making me laugh, keeping me somber. Um, I got my mom actually hooked on you because she was mad at me. She's like, true crime is so dark. How can you be positive when you listen to that? I'm like, listen to Dark Poutine. They tell the story. It's not fixated on blood and gore and glamorizing the killers and now she is hooked as well so don't shit in your hat shit in someone else's hat shit in the haters hats uh, <laughs> <laughs> and have a good day thank you well how about that yeah shit in the haters hat that yeah. would be nice yeah <laughs> what did you do today i shit in a haters hat you can do that but still that, that would be probably some form of assault i but whatever. feel like it would be but in dreamland it's not so in yeah in uh in make-believe land it's it, okay to poop in other people's hats yes exactly excuse me are you using that hat no good guess what i'm gonna do <laughs> oh boy yeah. also can i just mention did she say she has three hour commute each way yes so she's commuting six hours. Yeah. How many days a week? Probably five. Oh, this poor person. I'm so yeah. sorry for your long commute. I hope you like your job. But that's a lot of podcast time, so that's pretty good. Yeah. But still, that's a lot of driving. That is a lot of driving. 
here we go. And uh, let's let's listen to one more. It looks like uh, this one is from Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati? W- WKRP in Cincinnati. WKRP in... What's up? Mike and Carol, this is Tyler, a.k.a. Big Daddy, calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, just want to let you know I've been a long-time listener. I've never called before, uh, but I listen to the show faithfully every Monday. I've been listening since episode eight, uh, so it's been quite a journey. Uh, I appreciate all that you guys do. I appreciate how sensitive you are to the victims, uh, their families, the perpetrators' families, and the communities uh, that are affected by by their crimes. And uh, I got to say, I didn't really know anything um, about Canada other than maple leaves and hockey uh, <laughs> before I started listening. So I appreciate the uh, just learning more about Canada and Canadian crime and Canadian culture. So thank you for that, uh, for educating this dumb old American. And with that, I will say, go take a big, fat, steaming shower. <laughs> thank you. Love you guys. Well, there you go. A big, fat, steaming shower. <laughs> Thank you, Tyler. A big daddy. Yeah. I love that because that's what Blanche Devereaux calls her dad. Big and daddy. the Golden Girls, big daddy. It's big daddy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we learned. Yeah, I'm not going to spoil that. Anyway, I was going to spoil, oh, I was spoil, spoil it. I was going to spoil game, but I'm don't. not going to. RuPaul. Don't. No, Thank uh, you, Tyler. Taking a hot shower is one of my favorite things. Big steaming hot shower. Oh, the best. So yeah. so steamy that the fan is running for hours after and there's little drips from the fan. Yeah, I know. Oh, boy. My favorite. Yep. Our house is going to be nothing but mold. It's <laughs> just a mold. <laughs> oh, well. Take a big lush shower bomb. It's the best. A lush, a lush shower bomb. Oh, I love it. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of that. And they stink, too. Holy smokes. They smell nice. They smell like stink. <laughs> they smell like delight. Delightful stink. Yep. Oh well. Whoa! So we can save some of those other voicemails. Yeah, we've got <gasps> we've got quite a few. You guys. Yeah. Thank you for calling us. We feel popular. Do you want to do one more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one just more. for just for fun. Let's <laughs> let's do one more. All righty, here goes. Oh no. Hi, my name's Rebecca. I'm actually from Ontario. I live in Brampton and I listen to you guys' podcast all the time while I'm at work. Actually, I work in retail and customers must think I'm crazy when I'm walking around with a headphone in and laughing to death to myself. Um, I think your wife is so cute. Every time she goes, Carol, I go, Carol, because I get so excited that she's here um, on the podcast now. I love what you guys do and it's just so amazing and I'm really into just all of it. Keep up the good work. Bye. Keep up the good work. Bye. Oh, that was cute. Thank you. That was so nice. Yeah, people are nice. They are nice. They thank are. You. Yeah, yeah. All the voicemails we get are so nice, and we re- we appreciate every single one of them. Even though not all of them get on to the show, we listen to every single one. We do. Uh, if you want to, you can leave us one at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And I guess that means that now is the time that we begin to have a looking at Z. Now, now's the time we, uh, okay. Well, let's move on to patron. Uh, let, okay. Oh my God. What? What's happening? Okay. Now let's move on to Patreon. Okay. Yeah. Let's see if we had any Patreon love this week. So first up, as far as Patreon goes, we have Cheryl Kincaid. Ooh. Interesting. Cheryl Kincaid. And Cheryl, where is Cheryl from, Carol? She's from um, London, England. She's from London, England. Yes, she is. Wow, that was easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does she do there in London, England? She's the Raven Master in the Tower of London. There is such a thing? There is such a thing. What does the Raven Master in the Tower of London do? This includes preparing the ravens' food, Mm -hmm. cleaning out their cages, and ensuring that they are let out of their cages to roam around when necessary. Yeah. And there's just recently been some new raven babies born. So this is a big thing. Raven babies. Raven babies, yeah. Wow. I know. It just happened this week. How about that? I know. It's very cool. It's the first time raven babies have happened in a long time. Yep. And she's part of it. Part of it. 
making that happen. Well, there you go. I know. She's making the world a better place. One For baby ravens. raven at a time. There you go. Mm-hmm. Raven the drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, nice. Isn't oh, that who? She is a raven master that dresses like raven. Her makeup is very done. It's on point. On point. On fleek. On is f- that old school now? I on don't, fleek. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. Is YOLO. It, it's those kids. Those <laughs> darn kids these, kids these I days. I think YOLO isn't even like what people say anymore. Yeah. Yeet. Yeet. <laughs> Yeet with a Y. Yes, exactly. Oh, this is old people talking like young people. So welcome. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Danielle Smith. And Danielle, it looks like she is from Incheon in South Korea. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whew. What's she doing there in South Korea, Carol? She's a snake milker. She milks snakes. Yes. Like the venom? Yes. Not like... No, I think I, don't. They don't, I don't think snakes have no nipples. because they're not mammals. No, exactly. No, no they have cloacas. They have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't Google cloaca. Don't do I'm it. I'm not even going to spell it because don't. I, no, no. It's just like yeah, everything comes out of there. But uh, what 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 does make what does snake milking involve? She works in a lab. Yep, and then um, she, that houses snakes and other reptiles. Sure. And then they're milking for research purposes, always humanely, always carefully. Um, This is a highly specialized profession that will require strong aptitudes in biology, science, and math. Wow. And snakes. There you go. Mm -hmm. That is kind of cool. That sounds like a cool profession. Thank you, Danielle. Next up, from Saugeen Shores in Ontario, we have Tanya O., and I see in her email address is uh, the reason why she didn't put her full name. Whew. And I really, really appreciate not having to pronounce that last name. Tanya O. Tanya O. And what does Tanya O do there in Saugeen Shores, Ontario? Okay. So this is a real job. Yep. And just don't, just you just have to okay, roll with I'll this. I'll roll with this. Okay. Because people really do this job and it's very lucrative. Okay. She's a dog food taster. Okay. Mm-hmm. A dog food taster. And uh, what what kind of dog food does she prefer? <laughs> Purina. But um, in, I just have to let you know that dog food tasters generally have doctorate degrees and other higher university qualifications. Wow. Yes, it's taken into consideration um, kind of the dog's needs, not just your own personal taste for dog food. Well, there you go. That's kind of cool. Yep. They also take into consideration uh, the nutritional value of dog food and write reports on it. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. They also have to smell it before they eat it. Well, there you go. (laughs) That's important. Well, thank you so much. Tanya, oh, we thank you and the dogs thank you. The dogs thank you very much. Pick a good one. Mm, Delicious. Mm, Delicious. Next we have Jade, like Cher and Madonna. (gasps) Jade only has one name. Jade. Jade. Her favorite color? Green. Her favorite color? Surprise. Green. Mm -hmm. Jade. Mm -hmm. And what does, uh, let's, well, actually, we don't know where Jade is from, so let's find out. Oh, it looks like she's from Abu Dhabi in the United Arab Emirates. Oh, very nice. Have you ever been to Abu Dhabi? No. No? Mm -mm. You lived in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I was nearby, but I never went to Abu Dhabi's. Abdabs. Yeah. No, I went to Jeddah, which I think is kind of close. But, and you've been um, to Bahrain. Oh, uh, yes. Bahrain. Radio Bahrain. Anyway. So what does Jade do in the United Arab Emirates? So Jade is a full-time Netflix viewer. That wow. is a job that I actually may be qualified for. <laughs> but hey, who knows? I think she's got the job right now. So she's keeping us all entertained. There you go. Uh, during lockdown. She's got to watch it all. What does she really like? Uh, definitely true crime. True crime. True crime. Any of those documentaries. Yep. Any of those. And RuPaul's Drag Race. What does she not like on Netflix? What does she not prefer? Um, baby cartoons? Caillou. Yeah. Yeah. Caillou. Yeah. I don't know if Caillou's even on there, is it? I think Caillou got canceled. And the only reason why I know about that is because lots of parents do not appreciate Caillou. Yeah, yeah. Caillou's terrible. And now we're going to get all this hate for... Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, parents. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, maybe you can explain to us. It's a preference. It is. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man, it's cool. We're all here. <laughs> yep. More KU for you. Next up from Calgary, Alberta, we have Dallas Barnes. Dallas. Dallas. And what does Dallas do there in Calgary, Alberta? So Dallas is a passenger pusher for the Calgary Sea Train. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's modeled right after the uh, Japanese trains. Yep. So uh, to get more people on this, uh, the Sea Train, you have that person there that pushes everybody in so the doors can close. Well, there you go. Thanks, Dallas, for pushing people onto the train. The only thing is it's kind of getting phased out right now. Yeah. So yeah. Dallas will just have to get a job pushing people in front of trains. Don't. No. Oh, no. Okay, maybe That not. goes against the whole code of ethics. They don't even joke about that. Yeah, that's not good. Mike, that was in poor taste. That was. <laughs> have more respect for the C-train employees. Yeah. Sorry, Dallas. Dallas, we're here for you. And uh, yeah, maybe they'll sort something out so we don't have to squish people into the trains. I know in Japan, they said that they're actually trying to coordinate with employers to have different hours so that there's not a peak time. Yeah, well, that would trains. make sense. Or more trains. Yeah, exactly. More <laughs> trains. Wow. That, that would, wow, that would be easier, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it? Rather than coordinating with a whole bunch of employers. Hmm. Wow, you're a genius. Next up, we have Kayleen Lothrop. And Kayleen is from Prince George, British Columbia. I'm really surprised that people are be <laughs> becoming patrons from Prince George after we poo-poo them. Smelly. They're for being smelly. But, it, you know, the people there aren't smelly. No. It's, it's just, just sometimes the town. Some, the town isn't smelly either. <laughs> it's, there's parts of it that are because of the, the mills. The employ employment situation there. Yeah. Yeah. It's that not probably personal. stinks too. Yeah. <laughs> it's not personal. Anyway... What does Kayleen do there in Prince George? Well, she actually tours around okay. many places. Yep. Um, she's a professional mourner. Oh. I know. People hire her as needed so that they can impress their family with all their friends. Wow. Yep. So all these people. So she is one person that goes and to funerals and I have, enjoys those delicious tiny sandwiches. After. I have read about that, that people are paid to go and mourn a lot of uh Asian countries will do that. Um, yeah, that's what it says here. Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because culturally they have a um, a belief that having a loud funeral will be helping the dead to their journey to the afterlife. Well, there you go. So it's actually a nice service position. It sounds like a nice service position. It does. It sounds basically from like our version of what, you know, Western perspective. But Southeast Asia, it's totally helpful well there you go there you go oh i just learned something there thank you <laughs> well thank you so much uh i guess now it's time to move on to our donut money donors oh nice and it looks like we had one this week and it <gasps> is our friend back again irene briand irene come on irene and she says happy almost spring to canadian oh. legends I've been listening since the second episode and have been sharing the non-nursery episodes with my 83-year-old parents on the weekends when I visit. Some cash for a beverage for Carol and yourself with a celebra celebratory box of donuts for you both. Stay awesome. Love from snowy, cool Alberta. Thanks, Irene. Oh, it's got coffee, Irene. flowers, love, hug, and fist bump. Fist bump. Oh. There you go. Irene. Oh, you know what? I saw there's some new... Gourmet donut shops popping up around us. Yep. One is in Ladner. One is in Langley. The only thing is they kind of open up early and they sell out quickly, which would involve me getting up early. So, but I think we might have to yeah. do it. Okay. I think oh, we're going to have to set the alarm. I'm going to have to go to bed early. Oh. We are going to have to do But it. we're going to spend it wisely. Wait, what? Uh, next up, we have a donation from our very good friend, IRL friend, Matthew Stockton. And it says, donut money received from Matthew and Steve. <gasps> Steve sent us donut money? Steve the Bulldog sent oh, us some Steve's donut money. Dad sent us donut money? I could weep. Isn't that the cutest Aww, thing ever? thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. And Steve's dad, Matthew. And yeah. Justin. And Justin, yes. Aw. Oh, that is so nice. You didn't have to do that that is the cutest just photos of steve is payment enough 
Yeah, we see a lot of those. Uh, hey, we're getting we're rich in Steve photos. I love it. And that's it. Thank you for oh. all our uh, to all our patrons and donut money donors, past and present, for your generosity. It helps keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please take time to give Dark Poutine a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Good evening, good night, and good day. Bye. Bye, bye, bye.